This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So we look at how he created us. Thank you. Hashem. Hashem. That way? Yeah. Someone calls. I'll, I'll, you know who it is. Um, so, so, so we're, we're made out of Afam and Hadama, but. And Hashem blew into our nostrils a neshama, a live neshama. That's how we became alive. Just as a piece of clay, we weren't alive. But after we put the neshama, right, we became a human being. What does that mean? Says Rashi, very interesting. Hashem made a being that's created from the upper world and the lower world. Guf. So everybody in this room, a guf, right? A guf comes from the tachtoinim, this world, the underworld. But our neshama comes from the alyanim. The fish the first day Hashem created Then Hashem created for the upper. Then on the third day Hashem created ground, right? Water, whatever, land. So that's Tachtanim. The fourth day he created sun and the moon. That's the Yainim. Up high. Chamishim. And the fifth day, you should have the Tachtanim. He made fish in the ocean. That's for down here. Shishi. When he came to the Shishi, so every day was Yainim Tachtanim. Yainim Tachtanim. Yainim Tachtanim. But on the sixth day, he mixed them. Huska Kashishi Lubrais. He created This is totally not understandable what Rashi says. Because of Hashem would have given one more than the other, it would have been four to three Ayanim to Tachtonim. Four to three Tachtonim to Ayanim. Whatever this means. The Maisabarashis, the days would be jealous of each other. That one of them has. One day more than the other. What does that mean that a day is jealous of another day? What does that mean exactly? I don't know. It's a, it's a Rashi, it's a Peladika Rashi. What exactly he's saying over here? But there's, there's, in other words, Akash Baruch Hu created a world that was even. Three Elyonim, three Tachtonim, one both. And the human being, the way he created us, in Kabbalah, we learned also Elyonim and Tachtonim. Below your shoulders, your shoulders and below are called Tachtonim. And that they give out. They don't take in, they give out. person goes to the bathroom, right? He, he gets rid of the waste in his body. In, in the Elyanim, which is your, your neck and up, so your eyes take in, your ears take in sound, right? Your nose takes in air, your mouth does both. Your mouth is the bridge. Your mouth does both. It, it, it takes in and it takes out. It sends out. It eats, it takes in, but it also speaks, so it takes out. So it's the bridge. It's the bridge between your Elyanim and Tachtonim, sort of like this. Then one that has both. There's one organ in your body that does both. It's your mouth. And you have to be careful. In this bridge are both things. What comes out of your mouth and what goes into your mouth. You have to be very careful. I know Ramesha Feinstein once told someone who came, he's asking Shilas about kosher, not kosher, not kosher. He said, are you as careful with what comes out of your mouth as what goes in your mouth? Because people are not that careful with Lashon Hara, right? A girl came to me today. I'm not going to say what high school. She said... My school has all these rules. I'm like, what's the rules? You can't talk to boys. I'm like, okay, fresh day. Um, your skirt has to be an inch past your knee. I said, I understand that also. Your hair has to be in a rubber band. You can't wear your hair loose. I said, okay, that's, I never had that problem. Um, I said, are there any more rules? She goes, no, those are the rules. I'm like, what about talking with Shinhara? No, they don't have, there's no such rule. There's a rule like that in school. I'm like, that's not a rule in school? Just... Your skirt and whatever it is. So there's a lot more rules than just what are the rules in school. But we, we, Akash Baruch Hu is very careful that in Bria, he made sure that one didn't have more than the other. It's very deep. In other words, whatever he did in his Bria, like that's why it doesn't say Kitayv on, on, on Monday because Hashem split the Yam, split the waters, and splitting is not a good thing. Splitting anything is not a good thing. Bringing it together is a good thing. Okay, what, where, where am I going with all this? 
So we're going we're gonna to learn something very fascinating tonight, and it has it has to do with this week's parasha also. We have to connect the two. Every human being, every human being is created b'tzalmolikim. Not only Jews, every human being is created b'tzalmolikim. Which means we, the shadow of God. What 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 do you have that God? What how are you shadowing God? So we always spoke about that that Hashem made every human being singular. There's only one of you. So we say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. There's only one God, there's only one Miriam, there's only one Chani, there's only one David, there's only one Mayor. You can say, what do you mean? There's more than one Chani. No, there's only one Chani, whoever that Chani is. She's Chani this, she's Chani that, she's Chani this. We're all different. Hashem, Hashem gave us something very special. And that is, that we're all, not only look different, we're all different, we all look different. He took the same parts, it's like one of the proofs of God. He took the same parts, a nose, two eyes, a forehead, eyelashes, eyebrows, the whole human being that he painted, all this, you know, everything that you have, your ears. And with those parts, the three billion people in the world, and they all look different. So they're like, one person has three eyes, one person has two eyes. It's like a lotto. A lotto has like a hundred million or whatever, truly, whatever, way that, right? A human being should have took these parts, and no one looks alike. Fish look alike. Animals look alike. Trees look alike. Birds look alike. Not all birds, but I'm saying that human beings, in the same species, they look alike. Parrots look like parrots. But human beings, nobody looks alike. Nobody looks alike. Not only that, everybody has their own fingerprint. That is the greatest present. Why? Because the worst thing you could be is a duplicate. You want to be a duplicate? You want to be number two? You know what number two is? Somebody told me today, number two is, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like to go there because... Number two, I wish I was number two, right? Number two is a failed number one. That's what someone told me today. Number two is a person who failed being number one. It depends how you look, right? I said, that's not Rabbi Wallerstein's. That's not my psychology. My psychology is number two is a victorious number three. Why are you a failed number one, right? You're, you're number three who became number two. Like what, it's, it's how you look, you know? Again, there are people who cry because roses have thorns and people who clap because thorns have roses. It just depends... On how you look at things, but what the Toma Devora, what we're going to learn about, and we'll see this in Pashas Shmos also, is that Hashem, that this neshama that He blew into our to our nostrils, gives us the power to be godly, to be and have the midos of Hashem. To emulate God. He gave us? What do you mean? I can't create. First of all, a person does a mitzvah, creates a malach. You are a creator. Every time you do a mitzvah, you create an angel, a good angel. Every time you do an avera, you create a bad angel. You, Nashem, you create that angel. That angel is you. It's part of you. So, yes, a human being has the power to create. We hope that he creates good things, whatever it is. But he has the power to create. In a way, he has the power of taking nothing and making it something. The angel becomes from his mitzvah, right? From his mitzvah becomes this fire, becomes this angel, becomes this malach. He has a very big kayach. But what the, what the Toma Devorah's 13 attributes, what it's trying to tell us is that, yes, you have the ability to be godly. And when you become godly, and I'm going to show you how, when you become godly, you force Shemayim, to react to what you're doing. Because if you can do it, that's what Rachli Menu did when 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 what she did with her, her sister when Hashem destroyed the base of Mikdash and the Jews were leaving, she came to Hashem and said, I was not jealous of my sister as a human being, of my sister, which is called a tsara, the other woman that marries, when two women marry a man, the other one's called a tsara. I was not jealous of her, I made sure she wasn't embarrassed. And you, Hashem, seem to be jealous that your children were serving idols. Idols are not even real. You're telling me you're not going to forgive them because you're serving idols? I'm a human being and I didn't allow my sister to be embarrassed and you're going to let Christ be embarrassed? And Kosh Baruch said, Salachti Kibarecha, I'm forgiving them. 
and, 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 and I'm going to bring Mashiach one day, and they're never going to be destroyed. And he made all these promises to Rachel Avram Yitzhak Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron couldn't save us. She saved us because she did something that was godly. She gave away her husband to her sister, which was godly. There's a story, I wish, wish I would have used this word, prepared tonight. There's an amazing story. The story is, I'm going to try to repeat it as much as I remember it, about godliness. So, there was a very big tzaddik, and he asked Eliyahu Navi. He used to, Eliyahu Navi used to come visit him, and he asked Eliyahu Navi, "Who is going to? Who am I sitting with in Gan Eden? I want to know who I'm sitting with." Eliyahu Navi said, "I'm not telling. You. That's not. That's not your business." Anyway, three times he asked Eliyahu Navi. He said, "I need to know in the next world who I'm sitting with." Eliyahu Navi said, "You know what? You really want to know? Okay, go to this and this town." Ask for Moshe, we'll make up a name, Moshe, whatever his name was. That's what you're going to be with in the next world. Okay? He comes to the town. And who's this Moshe? The butcher. A butcher. He was the, like the biggest Goladar. His whole life he learned did mitzvahs. And this guy was a butcher. Not that anything wrong with butchers, don't get me wrong, but... He wasn't on that level by a long shot. He was sabrachim. He was broken. That's who I'm going to sit. That's my chabrusa. You know, I'm haba forever. Okay, what should he do? So after the butcher closed his store, he went home. He followed him. And he knocked on the door. He said, I, 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 need, I need to talk to you. What did you ever do good in your life? Like, like tell me a ch- No, not normal. A, a, like a crazy chesed. Like something you did unbelievable. I, I I buy meat I, I, I chop it up Whatever I have to do to sell it Half of it I sell And half of it I give to the poor So I make enough money On the meat I sell That the meat I give to the poor In the end of the day I have money I, 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 He said wow that's really nice But but I know a lot of people Who do tzedakah Tzedakah I guess this guy was a very big child. He was like, tell me anything else you ever did? I said, yeah, it was, it was a story. He said, tell me the story. Uh, it's coming back to me. I remember it because it's like a crazy story. So he says, okay, um, there was a girl who was 17 years old or whatever it is, and, and there were two families, there were wealthy families, and they made a shidduch between this girl and a boy. And they were supposed to get married. And a, a, a band of pirates, got whatever guy, whatever came, and wiped out the whole city, killed everybody, and took this girl as a prisoner. And one day they were coming through our town, and they said they have a Jewish girl, and who wants to, whoever wants to ransom her, should ransom, you know, we, we, for a lot of money. He said, I took every penny that I ever had and I, and I ransomed this girl. She was a very beautiful girl. And I ransomed this girl and I brought up this Yisayma in my house. Now that, now you're talking about pigeon shvoyim. Now you're talking about big stuff. And I brought her up in my house. I had a son. An amazing boy. And I made a shidduch between this girl and my son. And we hired the musicians, and we hired the hall, and we hired. We got all the food. We did everything, and everything's prepared. Everybody's went, invited to the wedding. Everyone's dressed up. Food's out. Poor people are eating. It's a nayudika wedding. He says, and I'm walking through before the chuppah, and every, by the shmorg, and everyone's sitting, and this boy is sitting there crying. And I'm like, a poor boy in rags, he's sitting there crying. So I went over to him and said, can I get you a new suit? Can I get you something? Like, I see you're very, very sad. You're very broken. He says, no, that's not why I'm broken. He says, why are you crying? Because he said, the girl, the Kala, I was once engaged to. And they killed everybody. And they, I didn't know what happened to her. They kidnapped her. And I got away, but I've been roaming. I have nothing. I've been roaming around. And... 
it, it, you know, I understand, you know, that your son and you saved her and everything else. It's very hard. I, I loved her, and it's very hard for me to see that, you know, she's marrying your son. This is a true story. It's in the Mamlayas. So he went to his son, who's now sitting at the Chasantish. And he pulled him over and he said, Listen, I can't ask you as your father to do this. And he tells him the story. There's a boy and he's crying and, and they were engaged. And then he said, I can't ask you to do this. Your friends are all here. The wedding's ready to go. They're waiting for you to walk down the chuppah. It would be like a crazy thing to do. The boy got up because he had the right father. He said, I have no problem. He took off his suit. He gave it to this boy. And this boy married the girl. And he paid for the wedding. The whole wedding was paid for. The wedding, the music, the everything. And not only that, but she was his Yosema that he, his, that he brought up. Not only that, but the boy that married the girl that he, uh, that he saved, that was supposed to be for his son, lived with her in his house for a year. And then he bought them a house with his money and supported them and gave them tea, whatever it was. This tzaddik said, I don't even understand why I have a right to sit with this person in the next world. He's far, far greater than I am. That's not human. That's not human. He didn't owe this kid anything. He saved her. He made the wedding, right? So I remember telling this story. I haven't told this story in, I wish I had the mom was, I read it from inside. I haven't told the story in 10 years, for sure. If I ever told the story here. I, I told it somewhere. You ever heard this? I never said this here before. But when I told it, I said it over to my class my, when I was teaching boys. And one of the boys said, Rebbe, of course the father gets a lot of credit, but the chassam, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't pay, he didn't uh, you know, say, he, he's getting married to her. She's a beautiful girl. I guess they decided that they're going to marry each other, right? So like... Like, how, how, how did he do it? I said, it's not the chassan. It's the father. Because he brought him up like that. You don't become like that on your own. So it's not, it's not, the, it's, not it's the father. The father gets the credit for the whole thing. Of course, the, kid, the guy has, the kid has to be an unbelievable kid. That's not human. That, that's godliness. That's the tzalem alikim that we're talking about. From the 13 attributes, you see that Hashem gave the ability to every human being to be godly. To come to a level, on such a high level, that they're a tzalem alekim. They're a shadow of Hashem. You're mamish, like Hashem. In this story, it's godliness. It's not human. Human beings don't, we don't, it's like... Why would you give it up to this guy? He's a broken guy. Okay, you're unlucky. What should I do? You know, you get, we, got, we got the girl. I got the girl. I, you know, I made the wedding. I got put out all the money. Took off his suit. Gave him everything. All the presents. He brings that to my lawyers. All the presents that everyone brought to the wedding. She got. She got it. This guy got it. You understand such a thing? I heard such a thing happened in our generation. I, I don't remember exactly the story, but mom is the same type of story. That, that someone made a wedding and in the end his son didn't go down the chuppah the, the other boy went and he paid for the whole wedding whatever so it's an Indian today when you make a wedding they come to you and they say there's a wedding there just well pay for the you know pay for your shameless wedding at the same time as your wedding okay that's very nice you write a check but you're ready to walk down to the chuppah and you're like oh, oh him it's for him okay here's my suit here's my jacket here's my tie friends you got the wrong you have to dance for this guy whatever it is it's amazing, but we could do it. It's not a story that's made up. It's a true story. It's a story about El Navi. You could do that. So the, the 13 attributes that we're going to talk about in, 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 in the Torah Devorah is, is the ability of a human being to... Yeah, it's a lot of work. Don't get me wrong. It's a lot of work. But the ability Hashem gave us, the special, uh, unique individuality that each one of us in different phases of our life can be godly. And this week, Pasha, Bacha, Basparo, acted very godly. Well, and and, and our, well, we're going to get to it. Okay, I, was, I want to tell you, I want to read you a story. This is the Toma Devoro. Um, I showed it to you last week. It's by Feldheim. 
it's, it's a game changer. It's a life changer. You read this book, you're not going to be the same person. And this is only the 13 things of the, it's not the whole Tom of Devorah. The rest of Tom of Devorah is so Kabbalistic that nobody can translate it into English. This is just like the 13 principles. Anyway, I want to read you a story. So there was somebody called Rabbi Tanchuma. Rabbi Tanchuma wrote the, wrote the Medjish Tanchuma. Okay? So there was a, in his time, there was a very bad drought. There was no food, there was no water, very little food, very, very little water. And so Rabbi Tanchuma told them that, um, hey, how are you? I have to say over the whole story now? If you want. Can you, can you take the, this and add it to that? Because this is a sound bite. Maybe we'll figure that out. What? Figure okay, so we can shut this off then, right? Keep that. Do I keep both? Stereo. Anyway, so he kept making fasts. Because when it doesn't rain, that's what you're supposed to do. You have to fast. But in three words, nothing was happening. Nothing was happening. So one day, the people came to, the, to this big tzaddik and they said, Listen, we know why the town is not having rain, even though we're davening and fasting. There's a man in the town that got divorced, right? They got divorced. And we saw him giving his ex money. And he's not mechaif to give her money. It must be that the two of them are doing stuff, even though they're divorced. And she's not being a good girl, and he's paying for it. And, of course, if there's such a rush-up, in town, no matter how much we dive in and fast, it's not going to rain. Okay? He heard this terrible thing. So he called the father, he called the man. So Tachuma summoned the man and, the ex, and his ex-wife to come. He said, what relations do you have with this woman? Why are you giving her money? You are enemies. You are divorced. He said, she's my ex-wife. So he said, so I'm asking you, she's your ex-wife. Why are you giving her money? He said, I'll tell you the truth. I saw that she's in such poverty. Even though she's my ex-wife, we didn't get along, but she has nothing. I, I, I just, I had to help her. You're not mechaif to give money to your ex-wife. You're mechaif to give money to your kids, but you're not mechaif to give money to your ex-wife. So Tanchuma, when he saw this, raised his hands to Shemayim. And he said the following. Listen to this. This is how you can control heaven. He says, Hashem, one second. This man has no obligation to support his ex-wife, right? But he saw that she's starving and he had mercy and he gave her to eat. Hashem, you say, we say in Ashrei, Hashem, you open your hand and you feed all the living that need it. So you surely, a man who's not a chayiv, to give his ex-wife, is giving her money because he has mercy. How could you not have mercy on your creations? You have to give us these. When he concluded this prayer, storm clouds immediately began to gather, bringing rain. So this story reveals a fascinating, a fascinating message. That the greatest tefillah and fasting... They didn't do anything. But an act of kindness performed by an ordinary person was the final act that rescued everybody. Now, Tanchuma understood the, understood the secret. Mercy practiced in the lower world awakens mercy in heaven. So when you do chesed to someone else, you awaken chesed in, the, in, in Shemayim. This is a very important point. So he says... before going into detail with the deep insights and practical judgments of how to actually emulate Hashem, it is important to first note that everyone, everyone, is capable of this. This is what I was saying. We have within our souls a portion of Hashem from above. Like we said, Therefore, we also have the power to cling to Hashem's attributes and carry into practice everything described in this book. Okay? That's my point. My point is that we have this kayach. Okay. So he, he goes into many different things about people hurting you. And 
I'll give you a story. The, the worst thing, the worst thing that a person could do to you is if they hurt you with the chesed that you do. Like somebody comes to you and says, "Can I borrow a thousand dollars?" Right? You're like, "Wow, that's a lot of money." But you know what? I'm going to lend you the thousand dollars. He says, "Great." Takes a thousand dollars, and he, with those thousand dollars you lent him, he hires a lawyer to sue you. Can anyone in this room handle that? I gave you a thousand dollars because I thought you needed it. Now you took the thousand dollars and hired a lawyer to sue me because I, you 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 feel that I took a piece of your property. You couldn't sue me unless I gave you the money. With my money, you're suing me. Crazy. Not normal. That's like the worst thing anyone can do. You want to hurt me, you hurt me. But this, I, I gave you the I gave you the baseball bat instead of going to play ball. You're hitting me with it. Are you crazy? Give me back my bat. So that's very hard. So he says that Hakadosh Baruch Hashem, he does this all the time. You cannot do a sin unless God gives you the life to do the sin. So, so you're doing a sin. You're looking at things you shouldn't. But who gave you the ability to look at things and to see the vision? So the Malachim are like, one second. You gave her the eyes, and now she's using them. To look at the, at the things she shouldn't be using, like it's the same thing as giving the thousand dollars and suing me with it. So take her eyes away, right? And Hashem's like, no, no one can sin without Him giving you life to sin. You can't do anything with him unless He gives you the life. So why doesn't He take away the life, right? Why did you take away the thousand dollars? He's using the thousand dollars to sue you. Why don't you take back the thousand dollars? Because you feel okay right now. But He's going to do tshuva. He's going to. He's going to say, you know what? The guy helped me, gave me a thousand dollars. So there's a, a great story. Every, every time they tell you to do something in this book, they bring a story. Great story. The story is that there's this old lady and this old man. I'll say it outside. There's an old lady and an old man. Right? What's her name? Berkowitz? Leibowitz. This guy, Mr. and Mrs. Leibowitz, they live in an apartment in a, in a building on the ground floor. They're old. They go to sleep early at night. And upstairs, upstairs, their son got engaged, and they want to make the upfruit, the the, the vart in the garden of the apartment building, which is right outside Leibowitz's house, right? But they they need electricity, so they come to Leibowitz and they say, "Do you mind if we plug our amplifiers in your outlet in your house?" He goes, amplifiers? You're going to have amplifiers right outside my house? They're like, yeah, musicians. There's going to be a couple of speeches. He says, what time are you going to be like finished? Uh, 10 o'clock. Okay, we usually go to sleep at 8. I understand. I'm, you know, if you want to come, you can come to our simcha, they say. Well, okay. 4 o'clock in the afternoon, they knock on the door. They take the extension cord. They stick it into the into the outlet, right? They set up the amplifiers, whatever it is. The music is crazy loud, right? There's a lot of noise. It's 10 o'clock. It's 11 o'clock. It's 12 o'clock. Then these two poor old people, they're going crazy. They come outside. They're like, come on, like, we want to go to sleep. It's 12 o'clock. He says, no, no, five more minutes, 10 more minutes, just 10 minutes. Ahead. And, and, and no, no, it's 1 o'clock. And, and, and these two, they're going crazy. Meanwhile, the whole, if they pull the plug, it's over. Right, so I, just, I want to read you the story. So he's like she, his wife, right? Goes over to him and says, "Why not just unplug the extension cord? Why not?" And Didi thought to himself, "Wouldn't that be the simplest solution? Where did they get the electricity to make the loudspeakers work and keep him up from his outlet?" He got up to unplug it with his house and his electricity. And they're keeping him up, so why not? Why give them the power to keep bothering him? Just before he pulled the plug, he took a look out into the yard. The children were dancing. The guests were rejoicing. They were dancing around the chassam. How would they feel if he suddenly pulled the power and the whole place went dark? They worked so hard to prepare it. When his wife saw him hesitating, she said, Would you like me to unplug it for you? He said, no, don't unplug it. No matter how much they're disturbing us, we'll lose a night of sleep. I don't want to ruin their shabbos. Let us follow in the ways of Hashem. He continues giving even those who use his gifts against him. 
He gives good health and strength even to the people who use them to sin. This is Leibowitz looked at her husband and said, May Hashem keep granting his blessing upon us. A person, you can do it. A person can do it. Hard. Very, very hard. A person can do every attribute that God has. Every human being can do it. Now, this week's parsha. Okay? In this week's parsha, we have the following. And then I'll, I'll end with a crazy story in the Holocaust. So, Matya or Bisya, the, the Medrash calls her Bisya, but I called my daughter Batya. Um, so she was the daughter of Paro. Her name was Batya because Paro thought he was God. He said Batya, she's the daughter of God. That's how he named her Batya, right? I think that's why we call the Medrash calls her Bisya, right? It's not Batya. But anyway, so she went down to the Nile River, there's a machlokas if she had terrible, terrible leprosy, charas, and she needed to go into cold water in order to stop the pain. Or, according to a lot of people, she went down actually to become Jewish. A woman has to do tefillah to become a gyeris. Okay? So she comes to this, she comes to the R. We all know Moshe Abeno is a little baby, he's three months old, he was a preemie. He's a little baby, three months old, in a little basket. Uh, in the Nile River, uh, what's it called? His sister Miriam put it there, right? And he's floating along, and she goes down to wash. And she sees this little teva, this little boat, in the middle of the Amstel. So she sends out a maid servant, right? She says, the Bafarsim say, no, she stretched out her hand, and the hand kept stretching. Kept stretching and stretching as little kids. There was a little show that we used to watch, Gumby, where this guy used to stretch. His hand would stretch. And like, she was like Gumby, right? Very big miracle happened. What? What? what you know how, many, how, how far out he was? Like, that's crazy stuff that her hand stretched out. Like, how did that work? The bone stretched, the muscle stretched. Like, how did that work? Right? Okay. Question number one is we know that Hashem doesn't do miracles unless he has to. So why didn't he just like make a little wind and the wind would have blown the basket to her? No big miracle. Someone puts their hand out and goes out a thousand feet? That's, that's crazy. I'm sure we have to do a miracle. Make the wind. We, we need to get Moshe out of there, right? We need her to adopt him. So make a wind and, and blow it, right? What's this? This, this Gumby, this story with, that, with the hand stretcher. Okay. Vatistaf, vatireos hayelet. And she opens it up and she sees... This little baby, he was three months old. And this young lad was crying. Everybody asks. He was a baby, he was three months old. What do you mean, nar? Wasn't a nar? Nar is a teenager or a lad, a bigger boy. And the baby wasn't crying. Who was crying? The nar was crying. It doesn't say. The baby was crying. The now was crying. So some of the Farshim say that Moshe Rabbeinu's voice, she knew there was something going on here. This voice wasn't the baby's voice. Okay? He was able to talk at birth. She had pity on him. This guy, he's a Jew. How did she know he was a Jew? So a lot of people, most girls today, when I asked them, when I asked them in seminary, they said, he had a bris. Every Egyptian had a bris. Since Yosef, he made all the Egyptians have a bris. So seeing a kid with a bris did not mean you're Jewish. What? Who was worried about him? She didn't see anybody. There's a one Mephirst that says he was crying for Klaishra. And because he was crying for Klaishra, he wasn't crying as a baby, he was crying as a, as a, as a, as a, a young man. But there's a beautiful beautiful answer to all these questions and it's Ruth are you going to say something at the Shabbos table this is what you want to say the baby wasn't crying Moshe Abenu wasn't crying the Nah was crying who was this Nah that was Bocha Aaron his brother was watching to see with his sister to see what would happen to him 
when Aaron saw that his tzaddik little baby brother, who was called Tuvia in Hebrew, who, who was shining, was taken by an Egyptian lowlife princess from the worst castle, they were the lowest. He just started crying. Oh my gosh, look what's going to happen to my brother. He's going to go off to Derek. He's going to be a guy. He's going to grow up as a guy. Then you know that he's Jewish. So the one that was crying wasn't Moshe, wasn't the baby. The one that was crying was the Nar. When she saw. Now, how, old, how much older was Aaron than, 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 than uh, Moshe? Three years. Two years? Three years. A little kid. When she saw this little brother crying to the baby, she said, they have to be Jewish. Jews cry for others. This is not an Egyptian kid. There's no little kids crying for him being taken by a princess. This must be a Jewish kid. So the simon that he was Jewish was that his brother was crying. And that's who we are. We feel for one another. In fact, we will learn in a few weeks that one of the attributes, if a Jew hurts you, right? How do you forgive him? He really, another Jewish girl, another Jewish girl hurts you, insults you, whatever it is, that because they're Jewish, because they're part of you, you shouldn't punt it. What was the example? That... If you're, if by accident, right, you're trying to pick up something from the floor and you step on your hand, by accident, are you going to slap your foot? You're going to slap your foot? You made a mistake. You bent down, right? I want to get something. Oh, I just stepped on my hand. Whack your foot! I can't believe you did that to me. Of course not. You're going to be something wrong with you in your brain, right? So he says, if if another Jew does something to you and you hurt them, it's the same thing. It's one body. It's one. It's one thing. So, yeah, and, and understanding that no other Jew, and this this is what's very important to me, was my game changer. That no other Jew can hurt you unless Hashem writes and signs off that he can hurt you. So, if I step on my hand, I know it's not my foot's fault. It was an accident or whatever. I made a mistake. It's not my foot's fault. My foot didn't want to step on my hand. We're all one body. It happened. But I'm not going to slap my foot because I know my foot didn't do it. So the same understanding, if a person hurts you, right? it's the same as your foot standing, stepping on your hand, if that person hurts you because Hashem willed it to hurt you. So what do you do? You're going to slap him? You're going to take revenge? It's not about him. It's a very good muscle. It's a very good parable. Right? You slip on the ice, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to slap your foot because you slip? It doesn't make any sense. Right, you you you're trying to try to put your lens in your eye. I don't wear lenses, but you try to put your lens in your eye and you scratch yourself. So you're going, oh, I can't believe you just scratched my eye. Wow, we'll take it to a psych ward. Something very wrong with you, right? Why? Why aren't you getting angry at your finger? It scratched your eye. Why aren't you getting angry at your finger? It could have some scratch your cornea. It could be a whole big thing, right? Why aren't you getting angry at your finger? It's not my finger's fault. It's it's, it's my fault. So it's Hashem that did it. What, what do you, what do you, why, why, why are you taking? Of course, hello. This is not easy. I'm not telling you things that are easy. It's a lot of work to realize that no one can hurt you unless Hashem signed off on it. But why do you, why, if if a, if you are part of the Jewish nation and you feel the achdus and you feel that we're all one, the pasuk says. The Torah says, don't take revenge. Don't hate someone in your heart. Don't, don't hit another person. What's the, what do you mean? Why, why should I hit him? He hit me. Tell me something, I can't hit you. You hit me, I can't hit you back. I shouldn't hate you. What do you mean? You just stole all my money. What do you mean? What do you mean I shouldn't hate you? You have to love every Jew. What, what are you saying? What Hashem is saying is if you really feel about every Jew that you and him are one and you're part of one body, of course you're not going to... You don't hate yourself. Well, you're not supposed to hate yourself. You don't hurt yourself. So don't hurt another Jew because really you're hurting yourself. That's a, that's a, so here, on the other side, we see that Aaron, Aaron's little boy, was crying for his brother. What, what's with this deal? With the, and we're going to see how it comes out, and then I'll tell you a story, how it comes out in, in Moshe Rabbeinu. What, 
What happened here with our hand? So the last Pusik in before Shlishi, Pusik here says the following. We're back to the Yeled because the Nar was who? The Nar was Aaron. And we're talking about Moshe Benu. So that's the Yidah Yeled, the little boy, right? So she nursed him, Yocheved nursed him until he got a little bigger, and then she had to bring him back to, to Bas Paro. She adopted him. Bas Paro adopted him. But Moshe. Who named him Moshe? His Hebrew name was Tuvya. Because he was one good. He was one with. He didn't cry, and he had one light, lit up. An Egyptian name, no? It was an Egyptian name. But Moshe, and we call him Moshe Rabbeinu. It's not a Hebrew name, it's an Egyptian name. But Toyma came in on Miami, she see who, why they call him Moshe, she said? Because I drew him from the water. If Hashem would have brought a wind and brought the basket to the water, she didn't draw him from the water. Hashem drew him from the water. She had to draw him from the water to give him that name. What and a person's name is who you are. People get freaked out sometimes. I take their name and I can tell them all about them. Like, wow, it's Rucha Kodesh. It's Kabbalah. It's not Kabbalah. It's not nothing. Every person's name is your bank card. It's your. It's your. It's who you are. It's your source. And sometimes your parents want to name you one name, and then another name comes. Hashem. Everyone has a name. You're named after someone, whatever it is. That's, you know, my Rebbe always says your name is Zechariah, Zechar Hashem. When someone sees you, they have to be thinking, they have to remember Hashem. You have to, you have to be on that level. Shimon, my other name is Shimon Ishma. So listen, you got to speak. So it's in your name that you're going to be a speaker. And you have to live up to the, Every name has its source. We know that from the 12 Shvatim. Every name in the Torah says why. Reuben, why? Shimon, why? Levi, why? Yehuda, Kihayda, Aida. Every name had any Yosef, Yosef, a lot. Every name, every person's name is their source. Moshe Rabbeinu had to have the name Moshe. What was the source of Kimina Mayim Shishihu? She saw something that was impossible. I was talking to my girls all day about this today. She saw something that was impossible. There's a baby, he's 10, I don't know how far he was. Very, very far. My hand is only three feet long. It's impossible. He, he, I'm, I'm not going to get him. So any one of us would have sat and said, Whoa, there's a baby out there! Somebody, get a boat! There's a baby out there! But if anyone in this room would have put their hand out, Rabbi, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why you put your hand out? You can't reach that kid. But she had something about you. And that was, if you take an action, you have, you have to do the action. You have to push the boulder. It's Hashem's job to move the boulder. You, you have to, that's why my, my, when I started Ornava, everybody said, it will not work. It will fail. When anytime you tell me it will fail, that's when I do it. If you tell me it's going to work, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. You know, we need me for. You tell me no way. So my my staff that works for me will never say there's no way. Because they're like, oh my god, if we say that, he's going to do it. If we say, yeah, it's easy, he won't do it. We don't need more work. High school and seminaries and, and a ranch. You're like, what is he doing next? Like, what? You're right? So, you know, yeshiva on the moon. Like, we're going to tell him, you can never make a yeshiva on the moon. He'll, he'll make a yeshiva on the moon. So you never tell me you can't do it. Batya said, listen. I don't swim. I can't swim out there. I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to make the effort. I'm going to put my hand out. She had no expectations of but to have a miracle, there has to be an action. You have to do something. What should Benu needed that in his name? Because he's going to do a lot of stuff that's impossible. And if you look at Kriyas Yamsuf, right? If you look at Kriyas Yamsuf, okay, let's take a look at Kriyas Yamsuf. Yamsuf B'Shalach. What does Hashem tell him to do? Look, it's a very big lesson for all of us. And that had to be his name. Vayomer Hashem El Moshe. And Hashem said to this Moshe, who was named after, Milamayim Eshisiu, Nitei Es Yon Stretch out your hand, over the sea. Now, you can't stretch out your hand over the sea. You can just stretch out your hand towards the sea. Your hand is not bigger than the sea, right? Stretch out your hand. And, and, and that's it. They're, gonna be, they're all going to drown. All the water is going to drown them. And Moshe put his hand out above the sea. 
But Yeshua Yom was nice and they all died. What does that mean? Like, what is putting your hand down? How does that bring the sea all right? And the answer is, Moshe, you do the action. I'll do the. I'll, you put your hand down. I'll do the rest. His hand didn't do anything. And where did he get that from? Because his whole name was from Baya, who put her hand out and he kept stretching. He made a miracle. So Moshe Rabbeinu's miracles go through all his miracles, go through everything he did. Even when he split the yam, right? Moshe as the and Moshe put his hand out. Hashem Hashem split the yam, and then he put his hand out again, and Hashem took the yam and put it all over him. Where did that come from? She had to, she had to put her hand out. But all of a sudden, all and, and, and if you look at the Marcus, right? Same thing. He put his hand out, turned to blood, whatever it is. Aaron, him, both of them, they did actions that caused miracles, crazy miracles. So it wouldn't have worked if. The water would have blown it. His name wouldn't have been Moshe. And he wouldn't have had that ability of putting your hand out and miracles happening. And that's a lesson for all of us. And the lesson for all of us is when someone tells you it's impossible, nothing's impossible. But you have to, take, you have to do an action. Without an action, nothing's going to happen. And that's why Hashem had to make a miracle that her hand stretched. Because that put in his name that ability. And it's, it's such a lesson for all of us because many of us give up because t- people tell us that something's impossible. I, I will tell you this. I mean, a lot of the women that used to be in the front row are not here anymore. Nechama and, and, um, and Malka and what's her name that's in the... Did you go to visit... Shirley, what? What? No, 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 I'm saying they used to sit. There was my front row here. Okay, so let me tell you something you don't know. You're here still. When I started Ornava, I had a meeting in this room with the biggest mechanchem in the world, like the number one. People that was de- I didn't deal with girls. I was teaching boys. I didn't I didn't teach girls. I was teaching eighth grade for thirty years, and I told them I have this idea that girls at that time there were no phones, so their whole social world of meeting each other they didn't have a social world. And all these girls would come back from seminary, and they had nothing to do a whole um, uh, at night, and they started going to movies and stuff they should have been going to, and we were losing a lot of ground. And and I was like, we need to open a place for women to come at night. And we're going to do this every single night. One night we had kickboxing. One night we had uh, Israeli dancing. One night we had jewelry making. We always, we had food. And this place was, on a Wednesday night, was 500. You could not get into this. There, was, there, wasn't, there were 500 girls here. Because at that time, there was no social media. And if you wanted to come to Red Wallace and share or any share, there was no Torah any time. So you had to be here. So the social gathering of girls who didn't see each other, oh my God! It was like oh, it was crazy what was going on here. But when I when I spoke to these people who were in Chinuch and I said, I don't just want post seminary. There are seventeen year old girls who are not are not doing anything at night, and there are eighty year old women and seventy year old women who are divorced or lost their husband or sitting depressed in their apartment. Nobody's talking to them. They're, they have no. Nothing. They have no shiurim because at that time there was no Torah any time. I'm like, I need them also. And every one of them said, pick and choose your customer. You're either going to be post-seminary, high school, married women, older women. You cannot in one room put older women, 17-year-olds, 21-year-olds, they're all going to feel like out of place. And I'm like, one second. The best thing I could do is to bring young girls into a room with women that, that have history of, they're married for 40 years, they have like an old wine, they have so much wisdom, like, isn't that, wouldn't that be amazing to have girls just out of seminary, they're able to talk to these women who have experience, and, and the 17 year olds can talk to the seminary girls, and it's going to be amazing, they're like, you will not last more than one month. The first time the seminary girls walk in and there's older women there and there's younger girls, they will never come back. And I'm like, well, you tell me what group doesn't deserve to have food, dancing, shiurim. Like, which group doesn't deserve it? Because they're old? Because they're young? Because they're like... So 
I said, you know what, I'll fail. I'm doing it. That was 17 years ago. We're still here. Because when you want to do something and you believe in it, do it. The worst thing that can happen is you fail. You know what? My father, Olusham, one of the wisest men I knew, he said to me, 75% of success is based on failure. The more you fail, the more you know what you did wrong, the more you know what to do right. Failure is not failure. Failure is only failure if you stop. Okay, I failed. Bye! And there are kids like that. Or, I failed. Why? Why'd I fail? What'd I do wrong? Oh, that's what I did wrong? Okay, we're going to do this again, but I'm going to leave that part. I failed again? Okay, it wasn't just what I thought. There's something else going on. Okay, let's not do that. Of Noah Weinberg, Torah, the biggest, the biggest of the day, seven yeshivas he closed before Torah. He failed, and he failed, and he failed, and he failed, and people were giving him money, like you're a failure, everything you open closes, and he hit it on the eighth time. He failed seven times. And he talked about it. He hit it on the eighth time. Why? Because every single time, he got smarter. You gotta try. You gotta put your hand out there. And that was Batya Basparo. And she ended up, by the way, going to the next world alive. She's one of the seven. Batya Basparo is in Ghanaian alive. Not bad for an Egyptian princess. Paro's daughter. I don't think I'm going to Ghanaian alive. She's up there with Elio Navi. Not bad. Paro's daughter. Why? Because she saved the leader of Klyestrom. How did she save the leader of Klyestrom? She put her hand down. She's in Ghanaian alive. Gamar says she's in Ghanaian alive. No argument. No luck like this. Batyabas Paro's in Ghanaian alive. Together with Sarah Bas Asher. What'd you do? What'd you do? Tzadikista? She put her hand out when no one else put their hand out. The Kayach of a person. Okay. So, just to show you what it means to love another Jew, I don't know that we're going to have time for my last story. Maybe we'll save it for next week. It says the following. When the Yigdal Hayeled, right? The little boy grew up and he came to be, but he came to base power. The next day, the next pasuk, Shlishi, pasuk Yudalim, Vayihiva Yavam Ahem, and it wasn't those days. Vayigdal Moshe, not a Yeled, not a Nar, Vayigdal Moshe, and Moshe became great. You just told me the pasuk before he he grew up, right? So this is not about age. Because you just told me that he grew up. But Yigdal Moshe, what does it mean that Moshe became great? Why? Because he went to his brothers. And he looked at their pain. He was a Mitzri. He was the, the prince of Egypt. He had everything. He was not considered a Jew. He was going to be the next pharaoh. He was adopted by the princess of Egypt. And I believe, I read somewhere, that Basi was the first girl in the line of men for I don't know how long. So she was like, not Stama princess, she was like, the princess. And this was her son. And he had everything. What's his, what's his gedula? What makes him great? He said, I'm not sitting here in my fancy palace. I'm going out to my brothers. Okay, that's very nice, but that doesn't make you great. But Yarvis is lovesome. He saw their pain. When a Jew sees another Jew's pain, that's what makes you great. When a Jew helps another Jew, that's what makes it that's what makes a person great. Who was like that? Where did he get that from? His brother. His brother was crying. That's a Jew. When a, when a Jew sees someone else in pain, he cries, that means that's okay. Being that the camera did not see missed the first story. I'll tell you the story. I did say this a long time ago. I actually said it on Tishabov. But this is the ultimate, this is another ultimate story. So, there was this, this is a true story. There was this man in Bnei Brak, very from very religious man in Bnei Brak. And when he used to put on his tillin, and he took his shirt up, it was very interesting that he didn't have one hair 
Men have hair on their arms. He, had not, he didn't have one hair. It looked like he shaved his arms. Both arms. No hair. Rest of his body, hair. Arms, no hair. And his grandson thought it was very weird. And his grandson used to say, Zaidi, what's the deal? Why don't you have hair on your arms? He said, when you become Bar Mitzvah, I'll, I'll tell you. This I said Tishba. I'll tell you. They, this goes in. I'll, I'll tell you. This, I'll tell you on, when you come by mitzvah. I'll, I'll tell you why. Okay. It really bothered this kid because it was like his grandfather wouldn't tell him. Anyway, came his bar mitzvah day. He says, "Okay, Zadi, why don't you have hair on your arm?" He says, "No. I told you you at night. We're going to make the bar mitzvah, the party. You'll get your answer." Okay. They're sitting there in Bnei Brak. All the rabbis sitting at the front table. A mitzvah boy just read his pshatol. Right out of a mitzvah, all of a sudden, a man walks into the room. A Jewish man. He looked like he came out of chemo. He didn't have a hair on his body. No eyebrows, no eyelashes, no hair on his head. Nothing like white. Like. He walks into the room. Everyone thinks, oh my gosh, this guy, whoever, they, can't, they don't know who he is. And they're like, oh my gosh, cancer for sure, you know, chemo, you know, whatever. I should have a fushalema, I got some mice, whatever it is. The grandfather of the boy jumps up, runs over to him. They're hugging each other, they're crying. Everyone's like, he knows him, like, well, you know, maybe we don't recognize him because he doesn't have a hair. They're like, what's going on? What's going on? Bring him to the front of the table, puts him in the front with all the rabbis and everyone. He says, My friend, Chaim, would like to talk to the Ramitzel boy, give a speech. This boy's looking at him. His grandfather has no hair on his arms. This guy has no hair on his body. And what's going on over here? It's a true story. So he gets up. He says, this is one of the biggest days in my life. He says, let me tell you our, our story. He said, we were both very young boys when we were brought to Auschwitz. And they, they killed our parents. They killed our brothers and sisters. Um... My, this man who had no hair said I came with my mother and my siblings and my father and they murdered they took me, they put me to one side and my other siblings to another side I was 7-9 years old, they were all little kids and my mother ran to give me a hug because she knew that we were being separated and they shot her in front of me she bled out, she bled out in front of me and they shot my father and they shot all my siblings in front of me this man's getting up, they want me he says, I was done. Over. My life was over. I lost everything. So they wind us up. He said to the little boy, he says, me and your grandfather. So they took us all, us boys, and they, they took up all our clothing, right? Because they said that all the Jews are filthy and dirty and have lice. And they deloused us. To get rid of the lice, what did they do? They had a pit. And in the pit they had water. And in the water they, pulled, they put acid. Lye. Acid. So they would put you in there for like three seconds, five seconds, right? It would start burning, start bubbling, and they would pull you out, and they would kill all the lice. There was no lice, but that's what they did. He said, when they put me in, so the grandfather already did his thing, right? All the boys were lined up, they weren't even, they had no clothing. You can imagine the embarrassment, whatever it was. And now they, the man says, and now they put me into the hole. And I decided I'm not coming out. I lost my father, I lost my mother, I lost my brother, I lost my shul, I lost my town. I'm done. I'm done. He said, all of a sudden I had this thought that the Nazis took everything from me. They took my clothing, they took my dignity, my dignity, they took my parents, my house, my children, my, my, my brothers and sisters. And I was dying. I was burning inside this, this hole. And I said, but they didn't take Hashem. I still have Hashem. And I put my arms up, but I was already burning. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get out. And your grandfather, tells the little boy, your grandfather sitting there, he ran over to the hole knowing that the Germans are going to shoot him. Because you can't save another person. And he put his hands into the acid. And he put his hands under my armpits. And he pulled me out. And I was pretty badly burnt. And he took care of me 
the whole time we were in Auschwitz. He pretty much hid me from them because had they seen that I was burnt so bad, they would have killed me. And he took care of me and saved my life. And I remember that when he pulled me out of the lie, we were young little boys, and we were laying in the, in the barracks. He turned to me, I was dying, and he said, you and me are going to celebrate my grand, my grandchildren and your grandchildren. We're going to go to each other's bar mitzvahs in Israel. He said, I will never forget it. And I waited for this day to happen because this is the first grandchild's bar mitzvah. And we are here. And they are not. And he turned to the little boy and said, the bar mitzvah when he said, and that's why your grandfather has no hair on his arms. Because those were the arms that stayed in the lie and burnt so that he could pull me out. That's why he has no hair on his arms. That's not human. That's godliness. And everyone in this room and everyone watching this share and every Jew and every person in the world has that in him. Just got to put your arms out. You can't just sit there. You have to put your arms out. And who knows when you put your arms out? Canadian alive. That's what she got for it. You should all be much liach and thank you for coming tonight. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.